The ability to speak with confidence and present for impact is easily the most valuable skill you can have in today's world. When you can share your knowledge, you can facilitate change. And when you can facilitate change, well, you can change the world one conversation at a time. But most people think they can't speak articulately, confidently, or with impact. They get choked up by nerves, they lose their words, or that dreaded imposter syndrome shuts them down. Well, I'm happy to say that speaking is a skill that anyone can learn. Yes, even you. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. My name is Kat Matson, and welcome to Speaking with Confidence. Well, hello. And welcome to another episode of Speaking with Confidence. Now, this episode, I'm pretty excited about because this is the first in a new series of special episodes that I'm calling The Impact Makers. You see, the more I do this work, the more I work in the Impactful Presenters program, the more podcast episodes I record, the more I work with people in my free group, the more fabulous impact makers I meet. That is people who are working hard, working smart to make their dent in the universe. And there are so many good stories that I decided I just had to tell them. So in this episode, we're going to hear from a local grassroots impact maker. Gail Dalliston runs the Shady Lanes Project, which, as you're about to hear, started because she was concerned about climate change and she had some extraordinary IT skills that when she combined that with her complete and utter disdain for mowing her nature strip, popped a collaboration platform, a community network, and quite possibly a movement that can help change how we do our neighbourhoods. So buckle in for a different style of speaking with confidence, but I'm quite sure that you're going to love this interview with Gail Dalliston. Gail, thank you so much for joining me for this Impact Makers series in the podcast. I so love what you're about with the Shady Lanes Project. So in your words, tell us tell us about the Shady Lanes Project and tell us how you got here. Okay, well, um, Shady Lanes Project is something I founded. Uh, it was based on my real concern about climate change particularly with children and grandchildren. Um, but it also brings in my background. I, I started working with computers in the 1970s, so mainframe computers and accounting systems, so it's sort of between computers and people. And then in the 1990s, moving onto the internet with online communication, online marketing and community building. And um, you know, I've done that for about 20 years and I was, I was about ready to retire, but I, I still had this thing about climate change didn't really know what I could do about it. So I had that moment away in the back of my mind while I sort of relaxed and did some gardening. And about six years ago, I planted out my nature strip, which is behind me. Um, I asked the council for a street tree and said about digging up the grass and growing mainly native high-growing plants underneath. 
and uh, people would see me out on footpath and they'd stop and they'd say, what are you doing? And I said, well, the council have changed the rules and we can have gardens now instead of just grass. And I'm just so fed up with mowing that I'm going to have a garden instead. So they'd smile and nod and off they'd go. And about about a year or more later, there was a note in my letterbox and it was anonymous. And it said, thank you for planting your garden. It's my favourite part of my walk home. And that note got me thinking about the, how it could combine the IT and internet background with the gardening and biodiversity and nature with um, the concern about, uh, it was a concern about climate change and and growing more habitat in the cities. And so out of that came the Shady Lanes Project. I just love it. I just love it. So before you tell us a bit more about the IT and the Shady Lanes Project, um, just explain for us why why is the natives or why are the natives more beneficial from a climate perspective than the, the lawn? Well, the native, natives, uh, they provide biodiversity for the soil and the habitat for, for our little, um, for all of our pollinators and everything. Um, they also, the garden helps water go into the, the ground, the rainwater filter into the ground instead of runoff. It helps the street trees grow much stronger and healthier because they are, they're not competing with the grass and not getting battered by the, the mowers and everything. And you also don't have that, you know, grass clippings going up to landfill. It's it's a it's it's the original circular economy, I guess. <laughs> but it's it's um, natives are important because they they're ideally suited to our soil and our climate, so they require less care, uh, less watering, and um, they, they they just work together to get that biodiversity going and get the right habitat. And and what we don't want are weeds, weeds and uh, exotic flowers and things like that well i mean they're a natural ecosystem aren't they they're the, the natives by definition were meant to be there mm. whereas the lawn's not mm. i um i every time i hear you talk about shady lanes i think oh okay i'm going to do my own nature strip but i'm not a gardener um and in fact my current my veggie patch is currently over overwhelmed with cobbler's pegs or farmer's friends whatever they call mm. them um because i'm not a gardener can I plant out my verge in a way that is relatively low maintenance um, or is it a, like a veggie patch that constantly needs attention and love? No, they're much lower maintenance than veggie patches, yes. which is another reason not to grow food on the verge. <laughs> um, they, it, you, using native plants keeps them low maintenance. They need a little bit of water while they establish and then usually you can just leave them. Uh, the 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 plants, the plants the council recommend are quite good. They're, they're slow growing and they just sort of sit there. I look, I look out my window on hot summer days and see my neighbours mowing their grass and think, well, well, I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> so all, all I do is occasionally go and pull a weed out. <laughs> so. And you just made a really interesting distinction that I'd never thought of before, um, that your natives are actually far lower maintenance than a veggie patch, which is why you shouldn't be doing the community gardens mm. on the nature strip. That actually mm. creates more, I guess, drama, doesn't it? Well, it does. And they're also, I mean, there's a buffer between 
your garden and the creek down the road. So it's better that you don't have a lot of nutrients there. It's better that you don't dig in the soil because you've got street tree roots and so you don't want to upset your street tree. So there's a lot of reasons that this is the better way of doing it. Um, it's also saves those issues of, you know, if I had one zucchini growing on the verge and I went down and had to pick it and it was gone, <laughs> what do you do? Um, whereas when I grow flowers, people can pick the flowers as much as they want and they do. <laughs> That's fine because it's public land and, you know. Yeah, so yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mm. So come back to that IT part. So I gather you're now teaching people how to do this themselves and how to, I don't know, bring that, bring the community benefit of natives to nature strips back. So how are you doing that? I've, I've um, as, as part of the website, I've, I've created a, an online course. It's a free one. Um, and it condenses five years of all the lessons I've learned of what works and what doesn't work it is with five easy weekly lessons um uh, not not so much gardening lessons but on the you know the whys and wherefores why are you doing this what are, what are the pitfalls where to find your council policy what it all means how to get on with your neighbors so uh, it's yeah it's, it just makes it easier for them to do that and um Hopefully more will do it, but uh, not everybody will because, yeah. as you say, not everybody's a gardener and, and it is the, the, initial, the biggest amount of work is that initial transformation. Once you've done that, it's easy. Yeah, nice. Um, for listeners who are maybe thinking they're a bit sceptical or they're wondering, well, you know, my council wouldn't do that, where in the world are you, Gail, and which council was supportive? I'm in Bristol. And Brisbane's got a really good policy. Uh, on, on the website, I've got pol- on this policies all around Australia and that more and more councils are coming on board with this because they're realising that it benefits them as well. Councils are struggling to increase tree canopy and this helps your street trees grow. But they end up with basically free labour looking after their street trees. Yeah. So it's in the council's interest to, to increase their green space and and, uh, and and to cool the suburbs as well. I think, I mean, there's so many layers of what I love about this project, but in particular, yes, the council might be getting free labour, but what they're also getting is community buy-in. So even as a renter, which I am, um, I can fully imagine that the the care factor that I bring to my nature strip is fundamentally different once I've done this and then that has a ripple effect right throughout the rest of the street I mean mm. it, we actually have a couple of lawn um, what's the word well there's one gentleman in the street who cuts his lawn with his scissors to finish it <laughs> off but I noticed that there's a competition right you know like they compete so in mm. the same way you would compete with your um, the natives it's kind of like oh yeah who, who can have a who can have a nicer nature strip whether it's lawn whether it's um natives it doesn't matter but it, it, it elevates the the standard doesn't mm-hmm. it when everyone's buying in i, I think it, it changes people's attitudes to the streets it becomes not just somewhere that we drive through to get back into our double garage it becomes somewhere that we walk along and uh, we notice the changes we, yeah in Australia, we like to have different houses as we walk along. Why don't we have different nature strips as well? Yeah. 
It'd be a really lovely reminder too, as you like, you get very present to the changing seasons if you've got natives doing mm. their different things, and then you're like, oh yeah, that's why I couldn't get strawberries at the supermarket this week because that's it's right. not strawberry season. You mentioned that you've now been doing this for five years, but it also kind of started as a bit of an accident, you know, like you started doing it and it was that note in your letterbox. Mm -hmm. Knowing what you know now, what's the impact that you're trying to drive? What's the, what's the, what's the impact, what's the legacy that you're striving to leave? What I'm trying to do is to make it mainstream, is to take it from enthusiasts who do their own little patch and that's always going to be very niche um, but also moving the emphasis on to, to nature strips to natives to contribution to the community rather than let's grow some vegetables on our on our verge um, but I wanted to make it mainstream is the big thing that I wanted to do because I want to change our, our streets I want if you add up all the land that is on our nature strips of ads it makes a massive amount of land and it makes the streets more walkable and it makes them cooler but that will only happen once if, if you get involved if you get if you scale it and that's what so i'm what's trying to the, do so what's the biggest challenge you face then in achieving that scale and making it mainstream what what gets in the way um well all the pieces are already there so, I mean, when I started, it just seemed so obvious and so you know, a bit of a no-brainer. Why don't we just do this? And uh, because you, we don't need to buy any land. It's already there. It's already available. Uh, people already look after their footpaths. So, so why don't we just do this? Um, and because I came from that IT background, the internet, it's the way we build internet businesses. It's all that connecting and, and you know, networks of people rather than hierarchies. And the thing that's stopping us is the way organisations work. What I'm really doing is asking people to work in a different way, to make collaborations. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a long time since I started university, but I remember them talking about interdisciplinary and all of that, and people still struggle with it. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's that building of the collaborations that's the hurdle, and that's what I'm using the website platform to do it's whereas the footpath builds you networks on the ground um that the the website builds those bigger networks from the people who are committed enough to organize bigger projects doing this that is fantastic so you're you're striving to empower networks of people who want to do it in their local streets mm -hmm. and in doing that you're creating a I don't know, for me, it's almost a, it's a spider's web, isn't it, of it is. networks of people who are doing things. That's, that's right. They're very much networks, loosely connected groups who, who have contact with each other so they can learn of each other, but they localise and they run it within their own communities because it's, I think it's really important for any sort of social change that's done within the community, by the community, because it doesn't work otherwise. It doesn't work otherwise and... It's funny that the irony is that the, the phrase that we use is grassroots, but in this, in this context, we should be talking about native roots, not grassroots. <laughs> now, this, the Impact Makers series, of course, is part of the Speaking with Confidence podcast series. So tell me, um, how important is it to you in making the impact that you want to make 
that you can speak with confidence? Oh, it's absolutely essential because I'm trying to get across ideas that um, are a bit alien to people um, who aren't used to that way of thinking, trying to find a way to make this fit uh, in with the way they want to do things and make it accessible to them. So communication is what it's all about. You're trying to, to, to work out how to communicate ideas and how to... Um, how to do it in a positive way because people don't want to be told what to do, which and which is what a lot of consultation is and a lot of other programs are. So basically, I, I, I want to go the other way and say, well, here's an idea. Does it fit with what you could do and do you want to run with that? How can we help you run with that? So what do you do to, like, have you always had that speaking confidence or is that something that you've needed to learn and hone and work on over the years? Oh, no, I'm very much a text person. I'm happy. I'm much happier typing in um, something than, than saying it because, um, and it's not just a confidence thing, it's just because I've done it so long, I'm, I'm used to being able to, to type. So, um, so yeah, it, it's been probably the biggest Thing I had to do to to, uh, to try and do that plus get those ideas out. Often to people with very different backgrounds to, to me, so I've got to try and work out you know, who they are, where they're coming from, and you know how to do that is is really hard. And and meet them where they're at and take them mm. all on that journey. Very much, and and splitting that journey up, which is I think one of the big lessons is is my journey. You know. Took me a while, and I can't bundle that into things and say, "There you go," <laughs> because it's too big, it's too complicated. So splitting it up into lots of little journeys is important. Yeah, and re- and remembering that um, whilst what's obvious to you now is only obvious because you've experienced that entire journey. And if you tried mm. to take somebody on that journey in one fell swoop, you'd that it just it, it would miss it's so it is it's very much taking them step by step that's right mm. um what as we wrap up what is one i don't know one confidence or impact resource or tip that you'd like to offer our listeners what's what's one thing that you found really useful and it could be a could be a book it could be a podcast could be a resource it could just be a framework or a tool that you use or a mantra of your own what's a what's a tip you'd like to leave other impact Um, makers with probably the biggest thing is um ed morrison and his strategic doing i don't know if you've heard of that is is the book strategic doing doing. um now it's what 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 it does i mean it's it's like agile but it's it's like what I'm doing is based on this idea of autonomous networks. Um, so it, what it's done is given me the, I mean, it's, it's based on a PhD that he did at Sunshine Coast Uni, which it's, it's given me the confidence that there's this academic rigour behind the theories that I sort of thought intuitively. Um, so that's been really, really good. Um, and... The other thing that it does is he has a very strong emphasis on conversation, important conversation, both within groups to get what they need to be done. You know, 
to, to, to keep them on track. And he's got this saying that I keep hearing, like, he talks about moving the direction of our conversations. Oh. And that sort of keeps keeps pulling you back when you, when you think you're going off track. We move in the directions of our conversations. Mm. Oh, I love yeah. it. We move in the direction of our conversations. I feel like that sums up my life, actually. I keep finding myself in conversations that inspire me, move me, want me to do more and I keep having more and then I end up, my actions follow it. But that's beautiful. <laughs> that is beautiful. Oh, Gail, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I will, we will post links to that book as mm -hmm. well as to your website in the show notes. But for listeners who want to jump on straight away without having to go to the show notes, what is your website? How can they find out more about you? It's on Shady Lanes. It's shadylanes.com.au is the website. You can also find me on LinkedIn. There's a link at the bottom of the website. But LinkedIn is a good place to contact me and I often share articles about this sort of collaboration because collaboration is the key to anything that we're going to do to achieve the changes we need. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, Gail, thank you once again for joining the Impact Makers podcast as part of Speaking with Confidence. Um, I, I might just plant out my nature strip soon <laughs> in my spare time. In my spare time. But I love what you're about. So, um, so thank you. Thank you for thank doing you. what you're doing to make, a, make an impact in the world. Thank you. Thank you.